If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, I'm delighted to say we have the amazing Liz Alper. Liz is a writer. She is based in LA. Uh, we became friends uh, via Twitter. Uh, we were introduced via the Fax channel uh, and then in turn the Troy channel. And uh, Liz has listened to the podcast. Um, we've communicated back and forth about writing things. She's a really established writer in the States. She's worked on shows like Hawaii Five O, Chicago Fire, The Rookie that's currently on air with Nathan Fillion. I mean, these are some of the biggest shows. She's worked in some of the best uh, drama writing rooms in the States. She also worked on The Brilliant House. Um, so what a privilege and a pleasure it was to meet Liz. We got to hang out over the weekend as well uh, and become even better friends in real life and not just the internet, which is always good. Um, so a massive thank you to you, Liz, for taking time out of your holiday to come and chat to me. Guys, in other news, really close to announcing something really exciting with some of my own writing that's going to be happening in the next couple of months uh, that I'd love for you to come out and support. I think if you like this podcast, you will love that. And as well, the brilliant Copperface Jacks the Musical is coming back, written by Paul Howard, who is one of the top comedy writers in the country uh, it's starring Johnny Ward who um, I'm sure we're all supporting on Dancing with the Stars hopefully get Johnny into the podcast soon and loads of former uh, guests in the show like Rosanna Purcell Michelle McGrath um, tons more than I'm sure I'm forgetting but uh, it's a real pleasure doing that show with the guys and I can't wait to share that with you all once again uh, this summer at the Olympia Theatre as well as that go check out our Patreon page um, a massive thank you to the Patreon guys uh, who are uh, chipping in with some cash it makes the biggest difference um, I actually cashed out the the Patreon, like, uh, whatever, the, the fund uh, the other day for the first time because it kind of gathers there and you can then cash out when there's, like, a meaningful amount. And, gosh, what an amazing feeling it was to know that giving this podcast to you uh, is just valued in that way. It's really lovely to know that and see it in a tangible way. And also, our numbers are skyrocketing at the moment. It's really cool. I think the Anya O'Neill episode really resonated with a lot of people, which is gorgeous as well. Quake you fortune last week. There's just been some really lovely chats happening lately. And um, the chat with Liz here is equally as brilliant in a really different way especially for anyone um, in the writing department or the entertainment indus- industry but we talk about loads of other stuff too it's a, it's a really interesting chat we get into race all sorts of stuff you're going to hear it in a sec so I will shut up and let you enjoy the wonderful Liz Alper playing personality bingo with Tom Moore. Liz Alper, ready to play Personality Bingo? Yes, Tom. All right, sweet. So a quick explanation of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock, 60 balls in here, and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you a sheet of paper with five numbers on it. Would you do me a favor and read out the five? Yes, so I have 29, 40, 17, 54, and 8. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Do me another favor. Could you pick a sixth number, something between one and 60 that's not already there? Yeah, I'll choose 21. 21. Any reason? It's my birthday. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so my birthday is 1221. Okay, so, good. Yeah, it's one end of the world and everything. So, I figure it's a good luck number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Up the Mayans. Um, <laughs> and uh, I should say that if all six of the numbers do come out, that means the tables are turned. You get to ask me any question in the whole wide world. I'll give you a totally honest answer. Okay. All right, sweet. Let's give it a spin. Yay. All right, here we go. First out the gate, we have number 27. Do you have it? No. No No. worries. Number 27, the question is, what is your relationship, if any, to the gym? 
oh, it's non-existent. Right. Oh my God, no. Um, I try and go. Mm. I try. I always, I always go through these phases where I'm going to the gym every day and I'm getting really fit, and then I'm like, yes, I have achieved my ultimate body, and then I just stop, and everything's undone, and it's so bad. Mm. But it's, um, it's something I pay a lot of money for to not use. Yeah. That's that's my relationship. It's like a. I don't want to, uh, I was about to say it's like a child, but people have children and they like them, so <laughs> yeah. it's not the best thing to say, <laughs> totally. but yeah, it's, it's, uh, what's yours? Um, I mean, at the moment I'm going a lot, yeah. uh, yeah, which is not, and I wasn't for a while and I wasn't like for, it's a weird thing, but I wasn't for like work related stuff because I was like, at one point I got quite like muscly and yeah. I was like, I'm not sure this is great. And, and then I, but then I was like, that's stupid. Like I, I feel better when I feel like I'm in good shape. Yeah, exactly. Just personally from like a mental health perspective, all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, And I run and stuff, I play a lot of football. So like I, you know, exercise is, is big for me. But like, is it because um, for anyone who doesn't know, I'll have done it in the intro, but you like write, you know, for TV yeah. in writer's rooms. Oh my God, was that our intro or preamble? I mean, no, I'll, that- I'll edit one in. Don't worry. <laughs> like, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't ready. You have to warn me of these things. Um, But, you know, like, are the hours and, like, is that lifestyle? It doesn't sound like it's very conducive to anything else. Yeah, it's it changes with each show. Okay. So for, um, I was on Chicago Fire and Hawaii Five-0. And with those shows, they don't have a room. You're very much on your own. So it's a 10 to 6 schedule. When you're not writing, you're do your quote unquote doing research, but for the most part, it's it's easy going. Mm. So you can go to the gym easy. And on the rookie, we're in the room ten to six, at the very least. And it's kind of it's draining. It's very mentally draining. And then you go home and you watch the news and you try and do more research, and you go to sleep and maybe you see a friend once in a blue moon. And it's just it's not a whole lot of free time. Yeah. Um, I wish I could run again actually because I've done half marathons. And I have a weird foot thing where, like, it feels like my foot's curling in on itself whenever I run. So I've I've been meaning to get looked for looked at for years because mm-hmm. um, it's been like that ever since I played field hockey. And it's prevented me from just kind of running out of my apartment and going for a jog whenever I want. But, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You've got this brow furrow, like you're concentrating really hard really? on everything I'm saying. It's really funny, but uh, not to make you self-conscious. <laughs> Because now you're blushing. Well, you know, the, one of the, the, the things I learned about podcasting really quickly was, uh-huh. like, if we're talking, for example, we'll do that. We'll go, uh-huh. Yeah. And we'll, we'll like, act, like active listening. So we'll, like, do performative listening. Right. Like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> all right. But, like, yeah, exactly. that annoys people in a podcast, especially for the host to do it. Because yeah. you're like, shut up and let your guests talk, you No, idiot. it's great because it makes me feel like I'm N- on NPR. Like, you're, uh, just, you're being very serious. Like, yes, tell me more about these foot issues that you might be suffering I, from. I think, yeah, because I think I'm trying to, like, show my face that I am listening. But like sometimes it can be <laughs> alienating for people when they don't hear the uh-huh, yeah, right. right. So like it's a lot of nodding. It becomes quite visual rather yes. than auditory. Yes, it's very one-sided. Like I'm the only one who's getting the visual performance of this podcast. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. it's an audience of one. Lucky you. That's yes. for free. All right. Here we go. Oh, oh. Whoa, 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 whoa. The way those fall out. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's a hazard. <laughs> All right. Number two. Do you have it? No. No worries. Number no, two. This is terrible. I, I mean, this look. Is, help me out here, Tom. But we, we're getting through them. I, okay. I've, I've got faith in you. Okay. Um, number two. Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I consider myself an extroverted introvert. Mm. How about that? I don't think that you can. I think it's very possible to be um, different variations mm-hmm. of introvert versus extro- extrovert. I don't love being around people. I don't know mm-hmm. if I have a buddy with me. I'm a okay, and I can. 
I can be talkative. I can be outgoing. If I show up at a place and I know no one and it's just me, I'm supposed to go and network or talk to people and make friends. I'm not very good at that either. I really have to find someone who's on my wavelength um, in order to feel comfortable. Otherwise, I just feel very shy. Mm. Um, I also... The difference between extroverts and introverts that I am most aware of is how you get your energy. So extroverts get your energy from being around a lot of people. Introverts recharge by being alone. And so for me, in different situations, I can go either way. There are times where I'm in my apartment all alone for a weekend, and it's great. And then there are other times where I just need to be around people, and I need to be in a big group. I need to go out to dinner. I need to go to the gym even and just be around other people to get some energy because I just start going out of my head. So that's uh, – yeah, I don't I don't know if there's a straight answer for a question like that. I totally get you. Yeah. And so like coming here, say like you said you did like a couple of days in London and now you're here for a few days yeah. and you're by yourself. What kind of feelings did you have coming into this kind of a trip? Is that is that anxiety inducing in that like, you know, um you're by yourself, kinda of not with your friends way, or is it freeing? It's it's interesting because I started off the trip um in the Bahamas with uh Ali, who's my writing partner and my one of my best friends. So mm. I got a good dose of friend time before going off by myself um in london it was a bit isolating and so i'm i'm very used to i'll talk to people on the train i'll talk to people in the store and that's not a big (laughs) british thing i suppose no No, it's not um so i'm just kind of walking around on my own just looking around just Wanting a friend, just, you know, I went and saw Gillian Anderson in All About Eve, and I just wanted to talk about it with somebody. I'm kind of looking around at people going, ah, you know, were you also touched with by this performance? Do you maybe want to chat about it with an American stranger? How do you feel about that? And it was just a big no all around. So I actually did end up running into a friend of mine in London um, who is writing on the Four Weddings and a Funeral show for Hulu. So I got to kind of gush about it to her, and that really helped. So it's been – I think if I was on my own for a significant amount of time, Mm. that would – feel different Mm. um but because i'm only in dublin for a couple of days and i'm seeing anya and i'm seeing des who i know before and then i'm going off to sweden where i'm seeing my little brother and then i'm back to la it's it's not so isolating yeah totally so then in terms of in terms of your ireland trip yeah like what are the things you've earmarked that you're like i need to do are you pretty loosey-goosey about it i'm loosey-goosey i don't i come here and I don't have data on my phone. My parents also don't know I'm here. So Guys, uh, yeah, what's yeah. the story with that? <laughs> my, my mom is um oh god, my relatives are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, "Cliff, your daughter was out in Dublin. She told you she was on set." And <laughs> it's going to get in so much trouble, but uh my mom's very concerned. Um I think she uh worries about me being a single woman traveling by myself. Um, especially I'm you you see me in person I'm not big I'm not intimidating Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she's concerned that I'll go off somewhere and get myself into a whole lot of trouble and not have anyone that can can help me out so you know I I had mentioned before I was like oh I want to go to Dublin I want to see Anya and I want to you know learn about Irish TV over there and it was the first thing out of her mouth was like you're not renting a car you're not driving you're not go find find one of your big guy friends to travel with so with this trip, I was like, yeah, I'm still in Los Angeles and just booked it to Dublin and London. And I wanted especially to go see my little brother in Sweden. So right. I think they're concerned that I won't figure 
out how to get around. Yeah. And uh, which is again. so mad because yeah, <laughs> so, I know because you're yeah. like clearly like an incredibly intelligent, capable person. Yes. But I guess your parents will probably always see you like the little I'm, girl. Yeah, I'm very much their little girl. I'm their only daughter. I'm their first. So especially my mom, I think she's very protective. I think if I grew a little bit, if I if I wasn't five feet tall, you really think my, it's a physical thing? Yeah. I, oh, I think it's a physical thing. I think it's a, you know, a, a, a maternal thing. I think anything that she can latch onto is a reason. So yeah, but I love her and she loves me, which is why she's so protective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Right, sweet. Let's give it a spin. Yes. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Number four. Do you have it? No, that's my that's my lucky number. I almost chose it. Oh, instead of twenty one. Okay, maybe very it, sad. It might feel aggrieved that you cheated on it with twenty one. I think so. Yeah, I think it's doing this to make a point. Well, um, on on point. Uh, do you yes. consider yourself a jealous person, like the number four? <laughs> yes, very much so. Mm. I don't like admitting that, but I'm I'm a very very jealous person. Um, I get very, I get very possessive of certain things and certain people. Um. But it's always in a weird way. It's not. It's never with a with a boyfriend. You know, I I can have boyfriends who go out and hang out with their girlfriends. I'm perfectly okay with that. Mm. Uh, it's very much like uh, amongst friends. Like I have certain friends that I'm like, if they hang out with other friends uh, that I don't know about, I get very very jealous because I think it's it's fear of missing out. Where I'm going? Why are you two hanging out? Why wasn't I invited? Like I'm very upset about this. I'm very upset with you. So. That's the kind of jealousy I suffer from and also professional jealousy. Mm. So that's it's more professional jealousy than anything else because I'm always happy for my friends when they book amazing gigs. Like I see how hard they work. I see how amazing they are. When I see someone who's 22 who is given a TV show off the bat, it, it makes me scream. And I'm just I'm pulling my hair out in my apartment. So it's that sort of stuff that I get really hung up on. Right. But. And you know this. You're in entertainment too. You, I mean, I don't know if you ever suffer from it, but yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. Like, I, like recently, a friend of mine um, who, who did the show, and the news isn't out yet, so I, I can't talk about it really. Right. I, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll tell you off mic because it's going to be like huge. She booked Ooh. like a huge thing, really. Yeah, on like the biggest platform in the world. You can probably imagine what it is. Uh, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can. Oh, I can. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. gosh. Okay. And uh, with like, with an Oscar nominated director. Yeah. Uh, all this amazing stuff, right? And obviously, and, and he's a, a real good friend of mine and someone I've known since we were young, even before we kind of got into this professionally. And we mm-hmm. kind of, we did like an amateur show together when we were kids and then both managed to, be working in the same city now this guy is like super talented like yeah. he's he's unbelievably talented he's also unbelievably nice and so it's kind of that weird thing of like and, and we're also quite similar like we'd be in a comparable casting type even though I don't even know if we ever auditioned for the same thing but like it would be very possible that we would and I'm sure yeah. we will but um, well maybe not now because now he's kind of going to skyrocket I imagine like unless this goes really badly which I absolutely don't think it will <laughs> he's like quite possibly going to become like a like a huge international star. That's entirely possible. Yeah. Um. And like, so it's so it's such. And I was telling my mom, and it was it was a funny thing because my mom kind of lo- looked at that and obviously just turned it around and kind of filtered it back through me. And was, mm-hmm. and, and she nearly kind of, I don't know. It was a sweet. Her instinct was sweet, but like I really do feel like p- real pure, real joy for my pal. Yeah. Who's like got a life changing thing, like in terms of career, like artistically, financially, all these things. Now, do I want to do work like that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah big time. But 
I don't honestly I I really don't feel a tangible jealousy what I do feel is it makes me kind of aware of maybe how our, our like lives and paths are going to be different yeah. but I've kind of always sensed that like I feel like I've got I, I don't know does this resonate with you but I feel like I've got a and like you know the universe is going to hear this now and like fuck with it but I, I feel like <laughs> I kind of know ish maybe what my life might look like and it, it doesn't necessarily look like a normal like actors route through the industry I, I, yeah. I think I, I, ha- I have a feeling about this I, and I could be wrong I could be totally wrong I'm so open to being wrong mm-hmm. do you have that where you kind of like look at your so you know you were a writer's assistant on House then wrote on Chicago and Hawaii yeah. and now in The Rookie and like do you kind of you know when you're looking into the or, or if your brain wanders into like oh what does the next five years look like and mm-hmm. five years after that do you kind of see maybe what it might look like or is it very much I have no idea I'm open to whatever yeah it's it's very much the latter Mm. I think because Hollywood's fickle and right now um, right now there's a lot of changes going on in the industry Mm. that weren't there eight years ago when I was on house you know Netflix wasn't a platform when I was a writer's assistant and neither was Hulu and neither were any of these other thousands of, of places where you can sell content and have a show. And at the same time, because of that, uh, writers aren't making nearly as much as they used to. So before you could count on your residuals from replays of your show, like anytime my episode of The Rookie airs anywhere in the world, I get a small paycheck and that's something that you can survive off of because there is a lot more demand budgets are shrinking Mm. and so there's a lot more fear and there's a lot more hustle and there's a lot more opportunity but at the same time it it starts to pull from a very small pool of talent and that's the pool where people know how to run shows and how to be upper levels and support a showrunner um, in a way that is helpful and not hurtful because that is possible. Uh, so it's it's interesting because I always figured I'd stay on network and I would work for shows like House and you know, Chicago Fire and Hawaii Five-0, those so- sorts of shows. And now the path's not so clear, mm. especially with is networks like ABC um, in the States, which is like our RTE uh, one of them. It's one of the four major networks. They only show dramas right now at 10 p.m. on weeknights. So that's five dramas. And if I ever want to work in network, I have five chances to get on an ABC show, um, maybe around the same number for any of the other networks. And I don't know if I necessarily want to limit myself to those sorts of shows anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I don't know what the future holds. Sure. I just I just hope it holds employment. That's all I'm hoping for. Yeah, 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 totally. Do you, you know, being in the room of something like we were we were even talking off mic about just like how your brain works in terms of like the kind of content you can consume in yeah. order to create the output you need to for your job. Yeah. So like the rookie is a you know a cop show, and so you you were talking about consuming that kind of material, yeah. documentaries, research, all this stuff. And how maybe watching we were talking about like the Tri Channel, which is like the YouTube channel I work for, and right. like how it's 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 fluffy, it's fun, it's like lighthearted content. It's very sweet, yeah. Very it's, sweet. It's great, yeah. But that's not necessarily conducive for you to consume. Yeah. Um, exactly. What what about like as someone so you've predominantly worked in drama, right? Yes, I only work in drama. You only work in drama. And is that a rule or if you were like 
fuck it, I'd like to give comedy a go. Like, is is that a bridge that that can be crossed based on the fact that you've you know worked at a high level, or is it like you know you're not it's, a funny person? Yeah, it's I'm a funny person for dramas. Like, I I definitely write dramedy, um, but I work in the one hour format. I think it's it's not impossible to cross over to mm. comedy. It's just a whole different beast. So. The way that comedies break their uh, shows is so different from how we do it in the drama world Mm. that it's harder to cross over unless you have a background in comedy. So I know people who have worked in one hour who have also have backups, uh, uh, backgrounds in comedy Mm. and they were stand-ups. They were, oh my God, what did I just hit? I just hit something and it was reverberating in my (laughs) ears. I think if I have my headphones, I'm sorry. Okay, I think you're having a stroke, but it's fine. Probably. Um, don't tell my or tell my parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now you know. Yeah, this is this is what they're going to listen to at my funeral. It's going to be awful. Tom. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's very different because in draw in comedies you are pitching a lot of jokes in the room. It's very micromanaging. Um, from what I heard, it's a lot more cutthroat because people are pitching jokes and you want your joke to go so you're not laughing at the other person's jokes and it's a lot more clicky and it's a little bit more backstabbing than I think it is in drama um so that's not my world I don't do stand-up I don't do sketch comedy that sort of stuff so I wouldn't be an asset Mm. um if there was something that if there was a comedian who was doing a one hour, I could probably help there because I have experience in one hour Mm. and I know what the format's like and I know how to stretch a story over an hour without making it feel like you're treading water. So that's, that's where I would shine. Otherwise it's, it's not something for me. Mm. I don't want to do it. I just don't. I can't, I can't make jokes on command. I can't be funny like with a snap. So that's, uh, it just sounds awful. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I was yeah. just interested because you've got like you're I, like we've only just met, but like I can't yes. really tell like you're a funny person. Like you've got like a Clearly. a good like energy. Yeah, I'm adorable. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey guys, Tom here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but uh, here at Headstuff we have a ton of other amazing podcasts. So I'm going to throw it over to Aaron, who is going to insert a digital advert with one of the podcasts that you should be listening to. If you like this podcast, you're probably going to like a ton more on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Are you interested in seeing what goes on behind the scenes of the Irish film and TV industries? If so, tune in to FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Every week we host a discussion with a different director, a producer, editor, a storyboard artist, art director, a line producer, actor, uh, script editors, uh, scenic artists, uh, storyboard artists, cinematographers, uh, line producers. Actors, voiceover artists, uh, storyboard artists. Did we say that already? We did. Uh, <laughs> Let's give it a spin. All right. Uh, number 57. Do you have it? No, I have 54. Oh, man. I'm always like two off. Okay. Is that the pattern? Have you rigged it this way? Maybe I'll spin it two more times. Next time. Yes. Next time I'm choosing my own numbers. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, right. Okay. Um, what's one thing everyone likes that you don't like? Zucchini. Oh, wow. I friggin' hate zucchini so much. What is it called here? It's courgettes? Yeah. Courgettes. I thought that was something fancy, and so I went to, uh, was it, uh, there's a chicken place, Nando's? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so, and they had grilled vegetables. It was like tomatoes and, and onions and courgettes. I was like, oh, that sounds so fancy for a chicken place. And they were like, oh, yes, everybody loves it. It's delicious. It's a big staple. And they put it on the plate. I was like, oh, it's freaking zucchini. Like, it's awful. It's so, it's mushy and it's peppery and 
I don't. You're looking at me like you love zucchini. I don't have any opinion on it. I really? don't even know if I've had a courgette. I I know I have, oh. but I couldn't. I couldn't even. I don't even know what it tastes like. Yeah, we have these things in the states called zucchini noodles. It's the big, it's the big new health craze where instead of pasta, you uh you take a zucchini. And you put it through a spiral. Oh, the spiral thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. And you you saute it, and you make pasta dishes out of it, and it's awful. It tastes like zucchini with like sauce and and meatballs, and everyone loves it. I can't stand it. It's just, is that like the sort of thing you're going for? Or was I supposed to say like God or something? No, like, that was great. Profound. Okay. No, that was way better than God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate God? I don't know have an opinion on god like he's fine <laughs> he's, he's, he's there okay yeah. Yeah, i'm a jew so we don't really have like a relationship with jesus per se but like god's god's okay yeah 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 you know it was so funny and i don't know is this true but i mm -hmm. think it's true it's certainly fun to pretend it's true well i had never met a jewish person until i went to chicago oh yeah like because we don't like it, it like i don't know what the numbers of of jewish people in ireland are but they're super small like it would mm -hmm. be like it's rare yeah i was looking up population stuff because i had a couple of people staring at me on the bus and i was like i don't know what this is about and it was uh they didn't know because i'm mixed race and so i guess they they couldn't figure they were like that's not a white girl but what exactly is she um and so i was just like i'm jewish and asian and they were like what <laughs> what are those things we don't have either of them in ireland so it was uh i looked up the stats for you know just anyone who's not white and catholic and they're very tiny mm -hmm. they're very tiny according to wikipedia yeah i mean like even now versus when i would have been young young i feel yeah. like ireland is like way more diverse but even still like yeah. it's super white it's super catholic yeah um even when you go to london i'm sure like london's really diverse london's really diverse london was nice to be in because there's a lot of there's a lot of asians there and i felt very much at home but. yeah yeah, and, and like, is that a really tangible thing when you come to somewhere like here that is, like, super white and, and, and super Catholic that, like, you just do feel other? A little bit. Mm -hmm. A little bit. It makes me, and it's something that I felt when I was growing up because I had mostly white friends in Rhode Island. And even when we took pictures, I could look at them and go, I'm different than the rest of these guys. And I look very homogenized, so you don't look at me and immediately think like, oh, she's of some Asian descent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I could be mistaken uh, for white by some people. And even growing up, like I was, because there's not a big uh, Taiwanese community and my mom was very much isolated and alone in Rhode Island, I didn't even quite understand that I was mixed race until I was a little older and so it's that feeling it's that feeling of walking around and going I'm I'm got one foot in this world and one foot in a different world mm -hmm. and that's very much how I felt when I was younger and is that feeling hard for you or do you enjoy the individualism of that I I don't enjoy the individualism of that because it's it's a very ostracizing feeling mm -hmm. because uh, the best way I can put it is you're not white enough for some people and you're not Asian enough for someone else. So it always felt like I had to prove that I was white enough or Taiwanese enough. And even now, because I don't speak Mandarin, I don't have a lot of connections uh, with my mom's side of the family. It's something that I've been desperately trying to catch up on because I feel like I have to 
prove that I, I deserve to call myself a half Taiwanese. It's not just something that was given to me. It, it feels like I need to show that I have earned this. And that's ridiculous because I was just born like this. And uh, to have to make people believe that you have earned the title of half Asian, half white person is idiotic. Mm -hmm. It's idiotic. And I hate that I feel that way, but I do. Mm. And it's it's a lot of people in here, just everywhere that make you feel that way. Mm. So... And in terms of, like, I've seen just, like, through your Twitter and stuff, mm -hmm. um, which... My very angry rant, rants about uh, representation in Hollywood, but, or... But, I mean, it is really yeah. interesting, because obviously, like, it's an issue across the board, that, uh, you know, and, and especially in the States. I mean, here as well, but, I mean, what's interesting here is that, like, the population is incredibly white. Yeah. Yet there's still a need to, like, have diversity represented on screen, of course, because there are people from all over the world that live here. Like, there are, you know black Irish people there are Asian Irish people like all, all this stuff you know right. so that's super important in the states like and you know places like London like it's complete like it's literally on the streets yeah on the televisions everything is so whitewashed that it yeah. like it's it's even more stark I suppose what what is being done or like as writers in rooms do you have discussions about what your responsibility is because I mean or is there a responsibility on writers, or does it happen way above that? What, what, what's the story? Yeah, it's it hard to be. It's hard because it starts with the showrunner, mm -hmm. so it starts with the creator. Um, I'm not going to comment on some of the other showrunners I've worked for because I think uh, there are certain people who blatantly don't care and are blatantly insensitive to certain things, and it pisses me off, frankly. Um, Alexi Holly, who is my current boss, is fantastic with it and he's always looking at certain roles going this is usually you know a white person on tv why can't it just be someone of a different ethnicity we had we wrote an episode um that featured a protest and the leader of the protest was a half asian half white girl and that was such a small thing and it was such a big big win for me mm. frankly you know and that alexi was open to doing that and and you know had it done and the fact that this girl only had two lines they were two throwaway lines but representation starts with the very bottom with the people that you surround your cast with and it's so important just to see a different face in everyday life not just as you know the lead actors but as your postman as the person that you buy milk from from the store uh that person on the bus uh someone who's coming in with the flu just showing that we're we're just people like and there are diverse number of looks and backgrounds but we're still all just people with human stories and that's what i am i think as writers we have a responsibility to show that and it's been wonderful being on a show that takes that seriously. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Especially I grew up watching TV, knowing that I was never going to be considered attractive like the women I saw on TV. And I didn't know why. Because I wasn't a super ugly kid. Um, I was a bit of an ugly duckling, but I kind of grew out of it. But the my entire adulthood, I've been trying to figure that out and wrestle with that feeling. And it was when I, I think I reached my late 20s where I really realized, like, I 
thought I was never going to be attractive because I wasn't white. Because all of the girls that I saw on TV who were being portrayed as the girl next door, the the hot cheerleader, the hot bad girl, anyone who was going to be the love interest were all white. And because that was never going to be me, I was never going to be that girl. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we're showing with making sure that we're putting diversity first is we're giving a generation, you know, a, a new kind of confidence that people of my generation weren't privy to mm. and weren't privileged to. So that's the change that I think we're bringing about. And that's the change that we as writers, we get to bring. And that's cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's that's important to me. Love it. I'm also not very articulate about it because it's all just like jumbled in my head. So I hopefully think, that makes sense. No, the last 30 seconds that were beautifully articulate. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's give it a spin. Uh, okay, number 26. Do you have it? no. 29. Mm. Uh, look, it's, yeah, it was, it was still that little bit away. Yes. All right, number 26. Oh, what is your most treasured relationship with someone over the age of 65? Ooh. Living or dead? Or living? I think living. Living? Okay. If you want to say a dead person, that's cool. No, I. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I don't know if I know anyone over the age. Oh, my dad. My dad's over 65 now. I completely forgot about that. So my dad, um, my dad also looks very young. Okay. Um, so I forget that he's over 60, quite honestly. Also, I think they're, you know, it's my dad. He's ageless. Like, yeah. I'm always going to see him as I did when I was a little kid. But, yeah, my dad is awesome. My dad's one of my favorite people in the entire world. Um, I'd also say my mom, except I don't think she's 65. I think she'd be really angry at me for <laughs> implying that she is. Don't worry. She'll um, never hear this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my dad will. So dad's my uh, my favorite. Yeah, he's he's been unbelievably supportive of me. You know, he his side of the family grew up always saying like it never matters if you make money it only matters if you enjoy what you do mm. and he very much instilled that in myself and my brothers and so we always grew up knowing that if we didn't make a lot of money it was okay because as long as we were happy that was the most important part and he's been so supportive of me going out to Hollywood and trying to make a name for myself and basically going out there as someone with without any connections and just still saying like I'm gonna be a TV writer and I'm gonna do it and this entire time I think I think I would have given up a long time ago if I hadn't had his blessing and his support mm. um, and so him being as wonderful as he is has made all the difference in me and my career and my life. So, my dad. Yeah. Yeah. What about in terms of, like, you were talking earlier about, like, your mom and, like, how much she loves you, but also how, like, she's, like, a, a, an afraid person. Yeah. Like, I kind of have a mom a little bit like that. Little, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not to, I don't know, probably not to that extent, to be frank. Yeah. But, like, does your dad play a role in, like, counterbalancing that? Like, is it, is it a yin and yang? Yeah, definitely. I think also, you know, my mom's fear also comes from the fact that she is of a different culture. You know, and so she is raising an American daughter, not being quite equipped to do that. Um, that's not really the right way to put it, but she grew up in Taiwan. She didn't come to the States until she was, I think, 29. Wow. So, yeah, so it, it's always been a big culture shock. I think she just very much wants to protect me. And I think she knew growing up she couldn't give me the sort of protection she wanted to because I was growing up in America. Mm. 
and she didn't have the same clout that she would have if we were back in Taiwan and she was raising a Taiwanese daughter. So my mom loves me fiercely and protectively. Um, and I love her for that, but I'm also 33 and desperately trying to live my life. Yeah. Um, but I think she, she would murder an entire army of dragons for me. You know, that's the best way I can put it because she is so fierce and so protective of her children that, um, any, any sort of threat she will just destroy, mm. like just decimate so i i love her and have you have you been back to taiwan not since i was very little right i'm trying to get back i really want to go with my mom i really want to go with my mommy experience it now that i'm an adult Mm -hmm. um because when i went i was in second grade Mm -hmm. and did not have the same appreciation for it that i think i was an adult because i was i was in second grade they didn't have peanut butter and jelly it was all very weird to me and i don't speak the language so it was incredibly isolating being there and i was there with uh my cousins who don't speak didn't speak much english Mm. at the time uh they speak more english now and so it's hard being with family that you can't communicate with and they did the best job that they could they played with us and they showed us lots of cartoons but there was a there was a feeling of disconnect there that i don't think is going to be there when i go back with my mom because Mm. now i'm going back desperately trying to learn as much as I can and really connect with that side of me. So, In terms of, you know, we were talking about culturally, say when you were in London and you're like, yeah. I just wanted to talk to someone on the bus. Yes. And like, I couldn't. Whereas like, you know, in Ireland, that I think would be much easier to do. Like people are a little bit more open, I'd say. Yeah. And like even the pace of life in comparison to London would be a little bit slower. Yeah. Even though Dublin's like a, a big, major metropolitan city, sure. Mm-hmm. But like it's, yeah, people are very friendly and are very open, I would say. Yeah. Um, what about the Taiwanese culture versus, versus the American culture? I know that's a super broad question, but are there like go-to things that you could be like, these are like polar opposites? Yeah, I, there's a huge emphasis on education. You know, In Taiwan? In Taiwan. Right. In, in Taiwan, in I think Asian culture in general, I, I don't think I'm painting things with a broad brush there. Uh, but it's education's very, very important. My mom, especially because she was, um, she was in a trade school when she was younger, instead of going to uh, an uh, uh, academic college, she went to a trade college and decided midway through she wanted to study academia. And to do that, you have to take an entrance test where only two people are allowed to transfer and thousands of people are taking this test. And she was one of the two people who succeeded in transferring Mm -hmm. and scored high enough that she could, you know, basically choose a whole new career that's not so much the case in america right now Mm. um i think we're we're very focused on what happens outside the school and there's this big push uh for kids to you know have outdoor classrooms and learn life skills which are great and not dissing those Mm. but at the same time we're really downplaying how important academia is you know mathematics science all these things that you might forget when you're 18 and graduating high school and you don't need them anymore, but they're so important and they play such a huge role in technology and sales and God, even like plumbing, you know, the very basis of our life are built on academics and, and art has roots in English and other languages and, you know, the written word and to forget 
the importance of schooling is a real shame. But that's, I think, what's going on in America right now. And did you did you go to college and did you study screenwriting or filmmaking? Yes, which again, uh, this is the thing I went to. I totally went to a trade school, kind of. I went to Emerson, uh, which is a film school. Um, and so I did not have math and science when I was there. Mm. Um, and I studied a lot of screenwriting. I studied a lot of uh, multicam directing. So that's that's the thing. I wanted to be uh, a script assistant director for multi-camera shows and that's like live variety shows like American Idol or Dancing with the Stars and doing that sort of stuff so I kind of had to switch halfway through uh, my college career but even then when you know we're learning about concept development and how do you take an idea and make it into a script I remembered saying they're going like shouldn't I be studying like English literature or you know should I have a math class and maybe brush up on my calculus skills um and I think it just may, would have made me a more of a well-rounded human being if I had had a liberal arts education so I don't regret it mm-hmm. it's definitely led me on the path that I am now but I see my little brother who majored in mathematics and took art classes and English classes and really threw himself into his schooling i'm like i probably should have done that right you know it's it, grass is always greener yeah of course of course, so, of course. Yeah. right let's give it a spin okay all right here we go number 52 do you have it no oh god no i'm i'm really sad right now. you're getting cranky yeah uh, <laughs> i'm very upset because we're actually going through numbers too and yeah I'm like how am i not getting even one yeah. yeah man all right number 52 uh what is if there is one thing you could change about yourself uh oh my god i have awful anxiety and depression and i would love that to be gone Mm. i would absolutely love that to be gone because up until this last year um i was always writing from a place of pain which is awful and what i mean when i say that is when i was on script or when i was writing it was as though my entire body was in agony it was this psychosomatic flaying of my skin so um whenever I have to sit down and I'm on deadline and I'm writing these scenes that aren't quite there, it's it's like my body is torturing itself until I get the scene that I'm happy with and I can't sleep and I can't really eat and I'm stressed and I'm hunched over. And until the script is turned in, it's just this, it's it's a month of just agony and I hated it. And halfway through... Uh, this previous season, I got myself on antidepressants that have been helping with the anxiety, helping with the depression, but now I have to relearn how to write. And I wrote a script. I was I had an episode, um, which was the first episode I'd ever written with on anti, while I was on antidepressants, and I wasn't in pain for the first time. But it also meant that there was nothing driving me to get the scenes perfect and so I was happy to leave the scenes be until I could think of a better idea and sometimes I couldn't think of a better idea and I felt like my writing suffered for it and so that's been really frustrating is having to learn how to rewrite without the indicators that I used to have that would tell me like the scene isn't as good as you it could be like keep pushing like don't give up don't don't stop trying to make it perfect Mm -hmm. um so it's a trade-off. So I would I would give anything to give that up and be able to just write pain-free. 
And when you spoke about the anxiety and depression, it was in the same sentence as writing. Yeah. How, obviously now you're saying, you know, the, the medication is is working in the sense that you were able to write this script and like that connection wasn't there. Now, the script was different. The process felt different. Yeah. But how hand in hand were, is your, you know, mental health and your writing? It's, I'm trying to think of how to answer that. Uh, like is it a chicken and egg thing maybe you know yeah, what I mean I, yeah I understand regardless of whether I'm writing or not the mental health problems are there like right. I just have bad brain chemistry um, I've had it all my life I had depression and anxiety when I was in grade school um, and then in high school and then in college and I go through these cycles of uh, depressive stages where I just want to isolate myself and burn every bridge and start over um, which you can't do mm-hmm. in Hollywood so it's more that once I became a writer and I realized how my mental health was affecting my writing I realized I have to do something drastic to actually handle this situation I can't just ignore it and think I'm going to come up for air eventually Um, usually I stay in depressive cycles for a year or two before I would feel like I was seeing the sun again and I was happy enough to just say, this is who I am. This is my process. In a year or two, I will come out of it and it will be fine. And, you know, I can live my life until the next episode starts. As a writer, this is my one chance. Like you you burn every bridge you have, you're not a writer anymore. And so it's more that once I realized how it was affecting me, I had to figure out what to do. So... I've been going to my therapist regularly. I, I'm on a pretty mild antidepressant that's actually done wonders. Um, I'm also just speaking about this as openly as I am because people have this stigma against mental health, which I think is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think in, especially in Hollywood, you're going through mental somersaults all the time. And so anyone who is fighting this, I think if you can get help wherever you can find it, like take it but yeah as a writer I think I just realized I could lose my career if I didn't figure out how to manage this because it's not sustainable writing in pain like that mm-hmm. and so that's answer your question it does maybe okay what um mental somersaults yeah Hollywood so as no no yes. I, yeah 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 totally yeah. so like um say I like I do a few different things acting being one of them writing being one of them yeah um and, you know, I haven't written at a at a comparable level to you at all yet. Hopefully I will in the future. Yes, absolutely. And um, as an actor, though, I, like, have worked at a, a good level and I've, I'm, I'm hoping to keep improving. But, like, the life is so full of rejection. Yes. As in, like, unbelievably so. Yeah. And, you know, I, I actually, I, I feel like I, I do quite well with that. What what about the life of a, of a, a writer? So you're staffed in the show mm-hmm. now. Um... Is it like still a day to day, week to week, like rejection, 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 or it, it, it does it feel different once you're staffed? It's it's worse when you're staffed. Really? I think yeah, because I think you are facing daily rejections uh, because you're pitching every day in the room. Sometimes you're pitching stories that are personal to you that when they don't fly, you feel like it's a rejection of yourself because mm. all you have to offer in this job are you and your stories and your point of view. And whenever you're let go from a job, it feels like it's a rejection of you. 
because someone is telling you your point of view, your stories, who you are as a writer does not belong here. And it's hard not to take that personally. And a lot of times it's not personal. Um, sometimes you just don't fit. Sometimes the show that they're writing is just not for you. And mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of admit that because everybody wants to fit in um, and everybody wants to do well. But it's daily rejection. And once you're an actual working writer, you have something to lose. You know, so you've gotten to a place where you're going, did I only have one good idea? Will have I written the number of good scripts that I ever will again in my life? Have I used up everything that I have to offer and should I start looking at different industries to join so that's how that's how it works for me yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure other people feel that way too no that's a really interesting perspective on it what about in terms of you know um you spoke about the showrunner you're working with now yeah. and 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 how he's great yeah. um is that something that you would like down the line do you want to to have your the rookie like do you want to you know come up with the concept of a show and and run that show is that an, an ambition yeah god yeah i would love to do that like that's it's very much the dream it's also hard because i see how hard alexi's working right now and god that i don't think he's slept in the last 6 months at all wow. Um, and he's he's so great and he works so unbelievably hard. But at the same time, I'm, I'm looking at him going like, oh, do I? Is that the life that I really want to sign up for? Um, but I it's something that I would love. I would love to create something that resonates with other people. Like I, I wanted to start writing because I wanted to make other people happy, you know, because that's what television did for me. And that's my favorite kind of TV. I, I binged The Umbrella Company uh, when we were winding down on The Rookie because it was just cheesy and fun. And that's the sort of thing I would love to at least put out into the world. I guess even if I don't run it, if I could just create something that does that for someone else, I'd be so happy. Mm. And especially the episodes that I have written um, where people get on Twitter and they comment and they say, I loved this or I loved this line or I love this moment. That just makes me so unbelievably joyful and it's something that i i carry with me every time mm. so when you spoke uh i'm not sure was it on mic or off mic i think it might have been off mic we were uh -huh. talking about being a, a, an assistant on house yes and how you know sometimes fans would write horrible crazy things to the writers being like how dare you have killed off x or y or broken up so and so yes do you have a process for if and when or when it has come at you that kind of stuff block just <laughs> just use that block button liberally. Yeah. Um, there was one person I remember. God, what, what was it? It was someone who was very unhappy on House uh, during the House years. It, he, they weren't on House, but they were a fan of House. And they were very upset about how the Cuddy-House relationship had ended. And they were just yelling at everybody. Okay. Um, so they were, you know, they were very much uh, of the Lisa Cuddy camp and they were furious that she was no longer on the show and they were just writing nasty things to everyone associated with the show. Mm. Um, and I just happened to have hashtag house in my profile. Right. So I remembered engaging with them and it just, you can't win. You know, I was trying to explain as much as I could that, look, they're... 
this is not your story. And I shouldn't have been saying this stuff because I'm speaking on behalf of writers that I have no business speaking on behalf of. Um, but I loved them and I wanted to protect them. Mm. And so I was just like, look, we're they're they're telling a story. They're not your personal fan fiction writers. Right. And that person did not take it well. And I learned that you don't do that sort of stuff sure. on social platforms. Uh, you just ignore. Yeah. So, and I know, uh, you know, Alexi and uh, Terrence, who used to showrun Castle, uh, they've talked before about how unhappy people were with the direction that that couple took. And it's not all fans. You can't please everybody, but people can be nasty. People get very productive of their fandoms. Mm. And there are certain things they can understand. Um, anyone who you know, is speaking up because they they see a stereotype or they see racist behavior being condoned. Please speak up, use that platform for good. Anyone who's like, ah, this couple broke up and you guys suck and I, I hate this show now. At that point, I just, I have no patience because yeah. we're, we're telling stories and you have to get along for the ride and you have to trust that we're going to be around for eight years to do this right, so... Totally. Yeah. No, all right. Love it. Right. Let's do this thing. Okay. Here we go. Uh, number nine. Do you have it? No, I have eight. Okay. Uh, that's useless. This is you can <laughs> you can hear. This is all useless. I'm gonna I'm gonna be so angry at this end. In your industry, dream scenario. Who is one person you would love to work with? Oh my god, that's like the worst question for me because I have so many. Yeah. I have so so many. Um. Currently, it's Idris Elba. Oh, wow. Currently, because, oh, my God, you put anything, you put any words in that guy's mouth and he finds the most interesting way to say them. Mm. And he's just so charismatic and so personable mm. and and can cut to the quick of any scene and just elevate anything he's in. Like, I would just love to write words and have him say it. Like, I think that would be so cool. Yeah. Um, I love Brie Larson. I met Brie Larson once and she was the most lovely human being in the entire planet. Mm. Um, and I, I adore, you know, everything that she has done and st stands for. Um, I could go on. I could go on. Oh, my God. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like, isn't he just the ultimate? What about feature writing? Is, 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 is it very, does it feel very different to you or something you'd be interested in? It is something I'd be interested in, but I think I'd love to have more clout uh, before I get into it. Because the thing about television in America is that uh, the TV writer is in charge. Mm. And in film, the director is in charge. So what we'll usually say is, you know, the the last person to see the final script is the writer. So you can go into a movie and you can be watching it and go like, wow, this isn't what I wrote at all, but sure, my name's there. Okay, I'll get paid. I'll cash that check. Uh, so it's something that until I have more of a name for myself, I'm a little more nervous to get involved in. Sure. Um, one of uh, acquaintance of mine was responsible for Thor Ragnarok, and she didn't get credit for the film because ultimately the guild, you know, determined that it wasn't enough of her script in the final product to warrant that credit, even though she came up with the concept, she had the pitch, she wrote the, she did all the groundwork. She was really responsible for that film turning out the way that it did. And to not be acknowledged for that, that's really hard. And so I really want to be in television where 
I'm in control. And is that post-arbitration? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That must be crazy. Well. Yeah, it's insane. Hmm. So, yes. Yeah, you don't want to be that soldier. No. All right, number 40. Do you have it? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, oh my God, yes. <laughs> nice. Yay. Oh, congratulations. Oh. I'm so happy you're not going to Oh my God, I was, beat me up after. I, I was just so worried of being like one of those people that leaves and hasn't gotten a single number. <laughs> even though, Like when it's those episodes where you, there are just too many questions and too much talk to really get through even six. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But when I'm just like, we're we're going through numbers right now. I see the little pile. Yeah, we've got like about eight, nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have one. So I, yeah, yeah. going out of here a winner. I'm very happy. Yeah, you're a winner. Yay. Um, if you weren't the nationality you are, what nationality would you choose to be? Oh, New Zealand. Oh, yeah. I would love, I would love to be a hobbit officially. <laughs> like, I'm about as big as one. And I would just love to go to New Zealand and hang out there and kind of live that Huckleberry Finn lifestyle. Mm. Um, it just, everyone just seems so cool and like with it. And like Taika Waititi is one of my favorite directors of all time. Okay. So yeah, that's that's what I would want to do. Yeah. Have you been? I haven't, but I'd love to go. Like right? New Zealand ap- appeals to me way more than even Australia or something. Yeah, same. Um, And I think, and this isn't why, but I mean, maybe also a little bit why. It's meant to be quite similar like to Ireland. Like for example, oh, really? yeah, like all the Lord of the Rings stuff was mm-hmm. shot in New Zealand. But I think if it wasn't going to be in New Zealand, it was Ireland. I think that they were the two places they were scouting for locations. That's awesome. It would be real rainy here if it had been it'd be a much different movie there would yeah. not be a whole lot of sunlight apparently yeah i think Tolkien wrote a lot of it in the on the west coast of ireland um so yeah, that's it, cool. it was inspired by like like the caves and stuff like there's mm-hmm. um caves out west like when you get back next time um you'll have to get out west because it's gorgeous yeah. and it's like a completely different side of the country but um yeah, as far as I know, he wrote uh, was it, like some of it was inspired by the Alloy Caves, which are these caves in like the the Clare Galway border. I'm gonna say, but like they're this massive network of caves and there are all these spectacular cliffs. Like you can see how they're the same universe. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I'm I'm dying to get out there. Honestly, like I'm I was very sad that I could not make this a longer vacation mm. so I could actually explore the countryside because Ireland I just think is one of the most beautiful countries a quarter to. Google images uh, so I just want to get out and like explore so next time I'm going to bring someone who can you know not get us killed and yeah. make my mom feel a little better a little about safe. me exploring yeah exactly that's fair alright let's get the last Yay. few done okay here we go Number wait did you just say the last one last few oh okay we're I was like, gonna say I was like no we're like at 55 minutes we'll go a little okay, long okay we got this I like to go a little long alright number 56 do you have it no no. I've got 54. Did we do like 57? We've got a lot of 50s here. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, I think we've got 54, 57, now 56. The question okay. is, if you were to have a child, would you bring them up with religion? Ooh. Um, I think I would bring them up with maybe the same casual religion I was exposed to. Okay. So uh, I identify as Jewish. Um, when I was younger, I identified as Buddhist. And my mom is Buddhist. My dad's Jewish. Uh, I was a vegetarian for 18 years because I was Buddhist like my mom. But we would always celebrate Passover with the uh, my dad's side of the family. Mm. And it was a very big, casual affair. Like, if we didn't have our rabbi friend there, my grandfather would skip to every page where you take a sip of wine. Like, our haroseth was peanut butter and jelly mixed together, which is very much a no-no. And when I told other Jewish people about this, I was almost thrown out of a synagogue. Um <laughs> But yeah, I would say that if it's something I would I would I would expose them to it but let them make their own decisions. Mm. 
because religion is not a big part of my life. Mm. That doesn't mean it wouldn't be a big part of my child's if they so chose. And I think also like it might have to be something that I discuss with whoever my partner is. Sure. You know, if I, I don't, I don't ever see myself, you know, marrying someone who's super religious because that's just not me. But if there's a sort of spirituality that they become interested in, I'd be totally down for helping them explore that. Mm. Yeah. Do you think about marriage and kids as a thing that you'd be interested in? Ah, not really. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. I think I, I love the idea of love. Sorry, my nose is running. Are there tissues? Um, do you want to, I'll yeah. use my sleep. It was my sleep. It's totally fine. Sorry. No, don't be. We this don't is a very nice. Yes, it's a very. I'm just going to sit like this the entire time and send a little bit more nasally. Do you want me to go get you tissue? No, it's okay. I have questions that I need to answer so I can potentially <laughs> win personality bingo. Yep. Ask Tom Warren a very important question. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I think it's something that. I've always considered because it's part of your upbringing. You, you think about children and, and kids and getting married. And every year that passes, I'm like, I'm not, you know, that's maybe not for me. Like, I would love to meet someone and settle down. The more I think about it, I don't know if I would like children. Mm-hmm. I think if I met someone and I went, oh, my God, no, we have to have kids together, I'd be down for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never felt like my life is anything less because I don't have kids. Um, and I'm 33, so I'm kind of at that age where if you haven't settled down, you're looking to settle down really quickly. Sure. Um, I think also I've just always wanted to adopt. <clears throat> and so in my head, there's no biological clock. Uh, I can adopt when I'm a little older. I know I would be an older mom, but I'm okay with that. Mm. Uh, mostly because my whole thing is I if I'm going to have children – I would love to take in a child that really needs a loving home. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, love that answer. All right, let's do the spin. Okay, here we go. Number twenty-two. Do you have it? No, no. <laughs> I'm just resigned now. I'm just gonna sulk in my seat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number twenty-two. Um, from past or present, do you have a favorite sports person? No. You're not a sports person. No, I'm not a sports person. I don't sport. I don't sport much at all. Um, I I played field hockey in high school, and that's about it. And I will watch you know the Super Bowl because my dad loves the Super Bowl. Um, I will watch uh, the pennant because my dad loves baseball. What's the pennant? The... It's base. Uh, do you know baseball? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, baseball like is the World Series or yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like uh, when they win, they win the pennant. Ah, okay. I think I don't know. Again, I don't. This could be total bullshit no, no, and no, no, I just no. think I'm right but yeah someone's going to say in the Twitter comments like <laughs> she has no idea what she's talking about yeah I don't sport like um I don't know like is, is that a common experience you find among like because like okay go for the cliche of like yeah. writers it's probably like people who are like nerds in school like weren't super athletic no there are so many football fans. really that's <laughs> like, what I was gonna ask yeah, yeah like on house they had like a we had a uh, fantasy football league Gosh. And um, same with Hawaii Five O, and you know everybody's big into sports. I'm just—I was a theater kid right. growing up, so I'm—I'm I'm fulfilling that stereotype. Yeah, you're a musical person. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Love music. Do you want theater. to do a little musical nerd out for a oh minute? Oh my god! Yes, can we please? Yeah. What's your favorite? My absolute favorite musical. Maybe or? favorite musical that you've seen. Uh, music Man. Okay. Music. I saw I've music. I've seen that. Have you? Okay. So I used to usher at our local theater, um, and. That means you get to see the play for free. So I saw The Music Man 15 times during its run. Loved it. It was amazing. Um, 
recently. I mean, like Hamilton's amazing. Mm-hmm. You've seen it, but I, I actually, there is a musical um, that I freaking adored called Groundhog's Day that I thought, you know, it's it's a remake of the movie, but I thought what they did that was so smart was they made his journey more, uh, more reflective of someone's struggle with depression. Mm. And the idea that you are living the same day over and over again without anything ever changing and feeling hopeless and not being able to do anything to to get out of this uh, this routine. Mm. And to do that was just such an intelligent bet. And I, I loved it. I loved Tim Minchin. Like, he's one of my favorite comedians. Mm. I think he's brilliant. Um, so that one. But I also, what did I see recently that I thought was unbelievable? Um I mean, Dear Evan Hansen broke me. Oh my gosh! What did you think of that? We—I've been meaning to ask you it, in detail. It broke me. Yeah, I saw that with Ben Platt, and I—I I was well devastated. I saw it with Taylor Trench. He's great. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He was great. Like, because I think I, I don't know. Obviously, I didn't see Ben Platt, but like I yeah. nerded out on YouTube of his stuff, and yeah, I, yeah. I have a feeling that Taylor Trench mightn't be as strong like a traditional musical theater singer. Yes. But like, he really just goes for it in this amazing way oh. where you're kind of like I don't care that you're kind of shouting at me it's so emotive exactly and yeah. that's that's the way that that musical needs to be sung too I think like the second act where you feel the walls closing in on Evan and it's it's a feeling that you're feeling as well yeah. I thought that was incredible because I the second act I am always so uncomfortable like the the last time I went and saw it I actually considered leaving at intermission just because I didn't <laughs> want to have to deal with like the emotional devastation that that second act brings. Like, oh my God, it's yeah. incredible. And you know, when I listen to the soundtrack, sorry, anyone who doesn't like yes. musicals is going to be like, oh, go yeah, fuck you yourselves. Skip. Yeah. You, you, you can skip. We talked about sports. Are you happy? <laughs> um, we didn't really. No, you, we didn't. <laughs> you, you made up some terms. Is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, you know that song that where the, the mom sings about when the dad left? Yes. Like when oh I when I heard that God. in the soundtrack, I was like, Bleh, what, what, what's Like this? what is it? And then you see it. And then you see it and it was devastating yeah. like all the father son stuff guy. yeah oh like it's just it's got like it just ticks every emotional box mm-hmm. it's it's crazy yeah it's so good and like and it's got that like nice like redemption without being too on the nose at the end you know what i mean exactly yeah oh, it's it's, really it's that good. wonderful feeling of of knowing that someone is always going to be there without her having to say it mm-hmm. and just the way oh my god the way that that is um, staged with just them on the couch and it's just her singing you know and there's there's nothing to distract from that message and that song and the emotional resonance of it god it's torturous yeah. it really is but it's great it's re- oh, it's fantastic it's beautiful um, come from away that was the one that was on the edge of my mind oh, that I was trying to figure out gosh, that's yeah. the one that's the one that's one of, I think that's most recently my most favorite musical because mm. and especially i growing up in america that was huge for us so yeah i mean come from away was just on in dublin and it transferred to the west end okay. and just swept up at the olivier awards i think yeah. it's got the most olivier award nominations them, yeah yeah um, i mean and it was it was really interesting because it was it was a really controversial move to have it on here because there was a whole thing about our national theater the abbey theater and mm-hmm. um, put it on but they didn't they did like it you know which gets a lot of state funding and they didn't cast from within Ireland at all, Ooh. which was just kind of like, we were like, well, 
it, it was just a whole thing. But yeah. but the show was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And th- there were actually two Irish actors in it, but I think they're both UK based. There was there was all this thing anyway. But like the show was amazing. Yeah. It was so good. Oh my god, it's incredible. And again, super simple, just very beautiful storytelling. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I think like for people people don't know about this, but it's mm. uh it's the most beautiful musical about nine eleven that one can ever hope to see. Yeah. Um, just having lived through that too and just seeing how people in this time of great dissidents were able to come together and just strangers helping strangers it was friggin just heart-wrenching mm. like i loved it i yeah. loved it i remembered seeing it in new york um my best friend and i had flown in on the overnight uh to see dear evan hansen with ben platt mm. and i on a whim bought a ticket to go see it and i was just by myself and i'm sitting and there are people on uh, uh, like other side of me we're not speaking after the musical we all just kind of turn it's like this feeling of community and we're all talking about how much we love this how much it meant sharing tissues and it was it was great it was one of my favorite experiences yeah yeah it's amazing right you got time for like two more yes let's do it okay here we go number 24 do you have it no (laughs) no worries i'm I'm really regretting choosing 21 right now (laughs) (laughs) number 20 oh my god number 24 have you ever seen a ghost no Okay. And I really want to, mm. really, really want to. I absolutely, I absolutely believe that there is something more to life than just what we're living right now. Mm. And it's mostly because I love being alive. And I, and people talk about how wonderful it would be if you know, once we're dead, you get to be part of the world and everything. I'm like, I don't want to be like a plate or a cup or like a piece of plastic silverware. Like I want to be living and running and holding hands with someone and hugging someone and and i just love the feeling of being alive so the idea that there is none of that once we die just i can't accept it and Mm. so i love to believe that maybe it's kind of like in uh did you see her scarlett johansson joaquin phoenix yes 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 this idea that we evolve to a different level of consciousness Mm. and that's where we meet up with the people who were there before and we we continue on um in just a different form like that's what i like to believe Mm -hmm. happens and it's born out of a selfish desire to never die sure um but i really want to see a ghost i really want to see a ghost like real bad are you afraid of death is that a scary thought yes yeah yeah, because I don't like the idea of being in a, in the ground. I don't like mm. the idea of endless blackness and of just not being anymore. I hate that. Mm. Um, and I think that it's comforting to think that I don't like the idea of uh, heaven necessarily. Um, I don't like the idea that there are set rules set by someone hundreds of years ago that say who gets to and doesn't get to have like a happy life or you know has to stay in purgatory because you weren't baptized Mm -hmm. um in time uh but i like the idea that this doesn't end that Mm -hmm. the party keeps going yeah completely yeah are you a horror movie person no oh my god no i don't do scary movies like i do like casper the happy ghost (laughs) um that sort of thing i'm i'm very much entrenched in the idea that ghosts are not assholes um, and aren't trying to just murder us because they're jealous that we get to walk around still. Sure. Um, 
I don't, yeah, horror movies, I think, horror movies especially nowadays are more like torture porn. Like, they're snuff films. And I, I friggin' hate that. Sure. So much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, Casper is great. Casper is good. Let's be Casper. Okay, let's be That's Casper. That's great. All right, yeah. right, last one. Let's okay. go. Okay, here we go. Number... 11 do you have it no oh it's okay i got one. Oh. i got one. Oh no not one like i've got just uh, this one yeah yeah, yeah. That X. 11 is one twice yeah. but <laughs> this is um weirdly which time i come from white what are your memories of 9 11 oh my god which okay. is a weird way to end it but i mean it's yeah. kind of it's kind of nice because you don't have many american guests and yeah I, that question hasn't come up in ages actually that's i'm yeah especially because we just talked about come from away so that's very appropriate yeah. actually. um so i i was in high school when 9-11 happened, um, I don't remember how, it was 2001, mm-hmm. so I was 15, mm. um, and I went to boarding school. And I remembered in my boarding school, we had a quad. So like our buildings were just built in a little square and in the middle was just like this courtyard. Uh, I was walking out with a friend and we were just talking and another one of our friends opened her dorm window and yelled out and was like, hey, uh, plane knocked into the one of the twin towers and we were like oh you know what a stupid pilot thinking that someone had knocked over the antenna um something simple like that we didn't understand quite what was going on and we just kept walking and then all of a sudden it was like that there was this buzz in the school where people kept talking about the thing that happened in new york and you could tell that something was going on that we weren't privy to and we Mm. weren't allowed to have uh the television on during the day we didn't have cell phones at that time um i think there were cell phones around but we weren't allowed to have them at school and the only news source that was coming to us was what was happening on the internet and even then that wasn't the live update that it is today Mm. and so we just kept hearing it get worse and worse and worse. And so you would run into another student and say, yeah, it says that there, there are people who are dead. And at that point, you think like, oh, you know, a small plane passenger pilot. And then I remembered the alarms ringing in the school to indicate that we all had to come to the Great Hall. And that's when we knew something was wrong. And we all you know the entire school went and we're sitting in the great hall and our teacher i remember was our, our it wasn't our principal but our, one of our teachers stood up and was telling us uh there's been an incident some of you have heard that there are you know there may have been a terrorist attack we're here to tell you we don't know what's going on right now we don't know to what extent uh, the damages, but there has been a plane that has flown into one of the Twin Towers, and we called you all here because another plane has flown into the other tower, and we need to make sure that anyone who is feeling scared or feeling alone right now, you know that you have our support. We're canceling classes for the rest of the day. You can go to any classroom and watch the news. Um, but if you need anything, please let us know. And at my school, we had a lot of girls who were from New York because my school was in Connecticut. Mm. And I just remembered some of my friends just 
breaking down because some of their dads worked near the Twin Towers. One of their dads was supposed to be at the Twin Towers for a meeting. And then we went into a classroom where there was the news playing and it was the first time I had seen what was actually going on. And I remembered seeing the tower with smoke pouring out of it and just thinking like, there's no way these people are alive. Mm -hmm. Like who, how could this even happen? And just watching the video on repeat of the planes going into the towers and then finally the towers falling and knowing that there were so many people who were suffering such a loss right now mm -hmm. um, of to which I couldn't even begin to comprehend. But just knowing that uh, this kind of feeling of living in a bubble, of seeing these things and going, this could never happen to me. It was like that bubble was gone. And just knowing that my friends might have family members who are no longer here mm. because of what happened. Um, and I just remembered for weeks afterwards just wondering, when is the next plane going to hit? Like, what is the next thing that's going to happen? Like, how does this, how do, how do we keep moving on knowing that we're no longer safe? And again, this is me as a 16-year-old not understanding a whole lot of what was going on except what was on TV right now. And I just remembered just trying to be there for my classmates who were from New York. And a couple of girls left school and went back to New York because it just made them realize if anything ever like this ever happened again, they couldn't be away from home. And mm -hmm. I think there were a couple of girls who lost relatives um, in the attacks. And just I remembered that hitting really hard. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's your American take on that. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I mean, yeah, because it's such a it's such a big thing, like culturally here, like and yeah. like that, like I mean, across the world, like everyone just remembers. But I mean, like being there and being that bit closer to it, like it does just intensify everything. Yeah. You know, it has to, it has to. Um, man, this has been so great. This has been fun. This is such a weird note to end on, but yes, it is a weird note to end yes. on. But um, I mean, maybe we can end end on okay. um telling the people where they can about, about your show, any social media stuff, anything you want to share with the lovely personality bingo listeners. Yes. Do it. Oh, I'd love that. So I don't know if the rookie airs here in Ireland. I know it's airing uh in the UK somewhere mm -hmm. um but it's the rookie with nathan fillion um and it is an abc show airing in america right now where nathan fillion is the oldest uh rookie cop on the force and he is delightful and wonderful and absolutely charming and just as lovely in real life uh and i don't know where you can watch it but hopefully watch it and if you watch it and you like it you can tweet me at at liz alps and i will do my best to respond and say thank you but thank you tom Thanks so much. Yeah, that's all I have. Thanks for being personality bingo. Thank you. So, guys, that was the amazing Liz Alper playing personality bingo. Liz, if you're listening again, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. It was such a pleasure getting to sit down and chat to you and get to know you that little bit better. So, thank you for taking time out of your lovely holiday um, and coming on to talk to us. I know that we're hiding this information for your mum. So, uh, anyone listening, don't tell Liz's mum she was in Dublin. 
It's a secret. Uh, in other news, guys, as I said, some really exciting news coming up about some of my own writing and performing. I'm going to be doing a bit of both uh, on the stage in Dublin City Centre really soon. I'd love for you to come and see that show. Um, it's one really close to my heart, and I think you guys will love it. So more details about that. Hopefully next week we might be in a position to say something. And the brilliant Copperface Jackson musical coming back to the Olympia Theatre. So it's nice. Uh, it's really, really good. And if you are in the mood for a good night out, Bingo Loco is the place to be. Uh, I've been doing some like comedy hosting MC work for the guys there as well as writing some TV projects that I'm really excited about too. So all go here on my end. I hope you're all keeping brilliantly. And uh, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash personality bingo. Throw some cash our way. It makes such a difference. It's such a pleasure. It's just a way of knowing that ye appreciate the show. I appreciate you listening to it. And uh, it's just a lovely little relationship to have. So if you can chip something in our way, please do. Just know it means the world if you can. Uh, the thank yous to the wonderful Aaron Ninzi for mixing, editing and producing this podcast so brilliantly as always. To the brilliant Alan, Bennett and Paddy O'Leary for all the work they do here at Headstuff HQ. To the wonderful Connor Nolan for his gorgeous artwork and to my besto Liam Moore and the wonderful Anthony Manley for all the brilliant stuff they do on the music end of things. That song used to get sung to me all the time. It doesn't anymore. And it's really good for my anxiety. So thanks for no one singing that to me for the last six months. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And tune in next week for another episode of Personality Bingo with Tom If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. 